The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the straight-talking business show that's dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs to be more successful and more profitable. Coming to you this week from Sydney. I'm actually sitting here overlooking the harbour on a miserable wet day. Now, we receive emails every week from all over the world, and this program is all about helping you, no matter where in the world you are. We have listeners on five continents, so I want you to write to me, email me, tweet me, become my, my contact on LinkedIn, go to my website, bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my newsletter every month great tips for small business so tell me what you think share your ideas your criticisms and let me know what you would like me to talk about the great thing about today's business environment in almost every country of the world is that if you have a great idea commitment and perseverance you can be whatever you want to be It's not the size of the budget that counts, it's the size of the idea. I often have clients coming to me saying, you know, I'm not successful because I don't have as big a budget as my competitor, or I'm not successful because I don't have the money. You know, a great idea is infinitely infinitely more important than having a lot of money. You know, there's a company um, or a number of companies that have done fantastic marketing programs from 20 or 30,000, particularly on the web, uh, that blitzed it and um, just for a very small amount of money. Money is not the reason people fail. It's absolute bullshit. If you've got the idea and you've got the product and you've got the plan, you will win. You know, one of the great things I love about America is that everything's possible. No matter where you're from, what color you are, what religion you are, what age you are, it doesn't matter. Let me share with you some tremendous success stories enjoyed by teenagers. Yep, that's right, teenagers. I love the current generation of kids. You know, I've got a son at George Washington University and his friends, they're an incredible bunch of kids and they're smart. And I'm confident that this generation will fix up the huge mess that our generation has got this planet into. My first example is Tyler Dickman of Tampa, Florida, who at 14 years old founded Cooltronics to teach grandparents how to surf the internet. In two years, he earned his first million. Within five years, 3.25 million. Today, Cooltronics is a major web consultancy company that's been featured in all sorts of magazines, including Business Week. Cameron Johnson began selling Beanie Babies over the internet from his bedroom in Virginia when he was nine years old. Within three years, he was generating $15,000 in sales a day. That's $5.5 million a year. In 2007, at the ripe old age of 22, he wrote a book, You Call the Shots, Succeed the Way and Live the Life that You Want. You guessed it, was an immediate bestseller. Just to show that there are wonderful women entrepreneurs out there, this is a great story about Ashley Qualls, who at 14 set up an online design company called 
whateverlife.com. She provided free MySpace layout and tutorials on how to do graphic designs and coding. By 2007, Whatever Life was attracting 7 million unique visitors a month, and Ashley made $2 million. Our final example today of extraordinary teenagers is Sean Belnick, who at 14 created a website called bizchain.com. He invested all of the money he had, a whopping $500, and began importing chairs from China and selling them online. A couple of years later, he had $24 million in revenue and a 327,000-square-foot warehouse in Canton in China. So between three 14-year-olds and a 9-year-old, they have made tens of millions of dollars. With little business experience, a couple of thousand dollars between them, and four bloody good ideas. So if you're out there struggling, either your business model is flawed, your work ethic sucks, or you need to change your profession. Every free enterprise country provides fantastic opportunities for those who want to seize them. In my presentation to corporations, I always say it's not the size of the budget that counts, it's the size of the idea. So if you have a great story that you think the world would love to hear, please send me an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. Again today, I'm devoting the whole last segment of the show to answering your emails. And remember, if I read your email on air, you'll receive a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is a step-by-step guide to guaranteeing your business is a success. I don't care what business you're in. If you follow these 15 steps, you will be successful. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the simple business mistakes that people make. This week, we've got another one. It's amazing to me just how many businesses do not try to upsell. You know, your hottest prospect is somebody that has just bought from you. This is your best opportunity for another immediate sale. The key to successfully doing this is having other products offer solutions to problems that your prospects have or are an appealing add-on to what they've already purchased. Related problems and related solutions provide you with greatly increased opportunity for sales. How simple is it for the cashier at the local discount store to suggest another product that may help solve a customer's problem? All they have to do is notice how related the products are to that the customer's currently buying and be knowledgeable enough about what the store has to offer to suggest another product that the customer will be interested in. The buyer that has just bought from you offers you a fantastic opportunity to sell to them again. We've all heard the simple McDonald's, do you want fries or Coke with that? It's a great upsell. That has worked literally hundreds of millions of times, likely generating billions in profit. It works. So why don't we all do it in our business? Many businesses in the US, I'm sure elsewhere, have every purchase a customer ever made in their computer as the customer checks out. The most commonly purchased items pop up on the screens and the cashier can ask if they need to purchase any today. It's simple, but hugely successful. Of course, your products must be good. However, and and, you know, you've got to prove to the customer that your additional product will also be a good buy for them. Here again, we're talking about knowing your prospects' wants and desires. You know, your job's not over when you've sold your customer's first product. You and your team should constantly be striving to ascertain what problems your prospects have and the solutions to them. If you're focusing on what your customer wants and are offering them another solution to a related problem, they will not be resistant to you as you try to upsell them. They will be grateful for your desire to help them. Just remember, your customers are never hotter than when they first order. 
tell them how appreciative you are and then offer them something else they'll have the chance to solve more of their problems and to spend even more money with you. You should look for logical product or service extensions to offer your customers. Using the back end will turn one-shot sales into repeat customers every time. Ironically, most businesses rarely try to sell their current or previous customers anything again. You should do it constantly. Simple advice, but how many of us think about it? If you do not have marketing training, it's very easy to miss it. Don't forget, let me know what you'd like me to discuss on the program. Go to bobpritchard.com, tweet me, email me, contact me on LinkedIn, send a carrier pigeon, send a smoke signal, I don't care. Just get in touch with me. Let's get our businesses more profitable, let's hire some more people, and let's get this product planet moving again. I'll be back in a couple of minutes with my first guest. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. The show designed to assist SMEs to implement simple disciplines in their business that will make an immediate improvement to their profitability. In this segment, we interview an expert in an area that is of critical importance to business. About 10 years ago, I worked with my next guest, Ron Kaufman. I'm sure we were comparing notes earlier in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and I was blown away by his extraordinary knowledge and practical applications to improve customer service. Those of you who listen to my show regularly will appreciate that I believe that knock-your-socks-off customer service that creates viral word of mouth is the major key to the success of any business. Ron is the real deal. He's a graduate of Brown University, studied in France, London and Berkeley, and lives in Singapore. He's been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and has made loads of TV appearances in the States and elsewhere. Ron's the author of Uplifting Service, and he's got 14 other books on service, business and inspiration. Ron, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Show. Bob, it's a pleasure to be here with you and all your listeners. It's great to talk to you again. Nice to hear your voice. Um, in your book, Uplifting Service, you say that the world is in a service crisis. Why do you say that? Well, the crisis is one that's affecting all of us. First of all, getting good quality customer service is not always easy to do these days. Anyone who's listening right now would know that from the position of being a customer. But the other part of the crisis is that many service providers are frustrated to the point of almost being resentful or cynical. So you've got a lose-lose situation going on both sides. 
And since service is so prevalent in our lives, anyone who has a small business is a service provider, sure. but we also have government service. We've got military service. If you go to church, it's called a religious service. Service is everywhere, and yet it's not being well done. So this is a crisis that actually touches everyone. It's interesting because my perspective is that... Um you know, give customers great service has been a mantra for as long as I can remember. It's been just drummed into everybody. And companies spend millions of dollars on customer service training each year. Why the hell isn't it working? Well, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, Bob? They're spending millions of dollars on customer service training, and yet every year it seems to wear off if it even works in the first place. Hmm. And what's going wrong there is that we're not fundamentally educating people about the foundational principles of service. We're treating it like training, like here's the script or do this or do that. And it's very shallow, a lot of what it's being taught, like the customer is always right, which we know is not the case. In the book, Uplifting Service, one of the things that I've done is revealed the fundamental service principles that everyone in an organization should understand and be able to apply, whether they're an internal service provider, like the finance department, manufacturing, warehousing, legal, or those who are facing the external customer. All of us need to be able to speak and use a common service language, and that's missing today. Interestingly, um, I have this sneaking suspicion that service in most industries is actually improving. But because we expect so much more and we're in an era of instant gratification, the level of service actually appears to be going backwards when in fact it's not. The gap's getting bigger between what we want and what we're getting, but service is actually marginally improving. You yes, disagree I agree with, with you. I know I agree with you, Bob. I think service is improving, and that's partly due to technology. It's partly due to the tight economic times, and people realize they need to keep the good customers that they've got. But what you pointed out in terms of technology also has opened up this world of social media. And so the risk of even one negative service experience being delivered by a member of your staff or by somebody on your team, that risk has shot up. Absolutely. The ability of things to go viral through social media, and you know how much people love to complain. Yeah. So then what's required in an organization to succeed in service is that every single person in the organization recognize that they are a service provider and the leaders of organizations whether they're large or small has to actually build a culture of service that supports every service provider to continually provide great service to every colleague and customer every day you're only as strong as your weakest link aren't you you put it very clearly bob that's the case Um, Now, one would have thought that technology would have made it so much easier for people to give fantastic service. Well, technology has a very specific role. It should track, it should measure, it should deploy. It's ideal for making sure that accuracy is in place, that timing is handled. But technology will never be able to replace, nor should it, that human-to-human interface. And it is people understanding, listening to the concerns of other people, and then responding to those concerns with appropriate service, that's a human function. So I say that technology should lift the load. It should take the burden off the service provider to let that human being do what only human beings can do. Unfortunately, our world has gotten so fascinated by what technology can do that many people have forgotten how important they are and their colleagues are in actually providing that human interface of service. Yeah, I think too many people in an organization think that it's somebody else's role to provide good customer service and they forget all about internal customer service as well as external customer service. That's a great point. In fact, the term internal customer is one that I recognize, I recommend that my clients not use. I say that inside the organization, rather than thinking of ourselves as customers to each other, let's think of ourselves as service partners. We're here to work closely together to do the best job we can to provide a great service experience to the real customer, and that's the one who has a choice about where to bring his or her money. Yeah, true. Now, when most people think of service, they think about retail, restaurants, and I guess generally they think about the hospitality industry. Is that where you see the most demand? 
Well, it's fascinating. Those industries that are traditional in service, retail, hospitality, food and beverage, transportation, they've been working on this for a long time. It's in so many other industries where products are so easily copied today, where commoditization and price competition has almost eliminated the ability for one company to differentiate from another. That's where we're seeing a huge step up by really leading edge, forward thinking business owners and business leaders who say the best way for me to differentiate from my competition is not based on my product or my price. So based on the quality of service experience that we create, the value we create through that service that will keep our customers coming back. And, of course, customer service is much broader than just um, uh, sort of giving people the product in a friendly way. It's about providing information. It's about providing great um, technical support. It's about making sure that the the trades person that comes around to your house doesn't show his bum crack. I mean, it's a whole bunch of things, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, but it is, a, and they're all things we great, forget about. That's all terrific, Bob. You got me there on the bum crack. <laughs> um, in the book, Uplifting Service, right at the beginning, I provide a definition that I think really should almost be taught in schools, which is this. Service is taking action to create value for someone else. And as you pointed out, what different customers value at different times is going to vary. Sometimes what they want is speed. Can we get this done fast? But the same person at another time could say, whoa, 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 slow down. Explain to me how this works. They may want education or information. And so what we need to do is educate our people that service is taking action to create value for another person. And the first step in that is to understand what does that other person value and realize that great service is giving them that, not just following a standard routine procedure. Yep. That's that's really true. Um, you say the customer service is a two-way street. What do you what do you exactly mean by that? I exactly agree with that. Look, there's always the service provider, but the other half of customer service is the customer. And one of the points that I make in the book is that each person, when you are a customer, there's a lot that you can actually do to increase the quality of service you get and therefore increase your own satisfaction. And one of it starts by realizing that that other person serving you, hey, they're a human being too. And they've got a job to do. And if you bring a good mood and a sense of appreciation and clarity about your needs to them, it makes it so much easier for them to serve you. That old phrase of what goes around comes around, it's really true. You know, the attitudes are contagious, positive and negative. Yeah, people tend to have a a bit of a um, uh, look down their nose at, at some people that serve them and help them, don't they? Yeah, well, that's really a very inappropriate thing. It's one of the things that I adore about Australia, by the way. My wife's Australian, is that, you know, it's a good day, mate. And how you going? And we're in this together. And I think that that way of seeing and being in the world is an incredibly positive one. All of us in the world are here to be in service to each other. So let's not have any of this looking down the nose at whoever may be taking care of you and thinking just because you're the customer, you're on a high horse. We're in this together. We're uplifting service together. I I can say that, you know, Australians might have a great attitude towards people, but that customer service in Australia in the main, I think, is dreadful Um, compared with the U.S. You know, I've lived in California for donkey's years, and I think the customer service is just so much better um, in, in many, many ways. But... Well, in many ways, and I think worldwide, all of us realize, as you pointed out earlier, that customer expectations are rising. And so the quality of service that each of us needs to learn to provide and our organizations need to provide also needs to keep stepping up, too. And the less competition there is, the the poorer the service is. You know, if you're in Australia and your phone goes down and you ring Telstra, you spend two hours on the phone to Telstra and they'll come and see you sometime next Tuesday between 7 a.m. and midnight. Um, in the States, you ring, I'll just use um, Time Warner as a their mic provider, you ring Time Warner and there's somebody there within sort of two hours and they almost pinpoint to the minute when they're going to be there. It's a it's a whole different ballgame. Anyway. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to report that on my Christmas vacation I was in Esperance, Australia, and my mother-in-law had an issue with Telstra and she called them and they actually gave her great service. So the reason I point that out is not to disagree with you, but to point out that the I think the entire world 
is recognizing that this thing service is not just a soft, fuzzy, nice to have, but it's actually become a fundamental and critical element of success. It always has been, but even more so as we go into the future. Uh, You've worked all over the world. Do different cultures have different service standards and expectations? Some cultures better at uh, customer service than others? Uh, you know, it's, it, it, first of all, the first part is absolutely true, that in different cultures, people do have different expectations about what it is that you should do that's great service. But what's common is that everybody is looking for a great service experience. Yes. So once again, it comes back to the service provider whose job needs to be understanding the person that they're serving and not saying, well, what's my procedure, what's my checklist, what's my process, I'm doing the right thing, but rather what would be the right thing for that person given their background, given their needs, given their situation. And in today's very multicultural world where SMEs can serve people from all over the world and will need people from all over the world, that sensitivity on our part as service providers really needs to keep stepping up. Are you difficult to place as a customer? I'm actually one of the best people to have as your customer because in the event that I'm not pleased, in the event that I am pleased, I'll let you know. But in the event that I'm not pleased, I can actually help to diagnose the situation and give specific actionable recommendations to a service provider about exactly what they can do to step up and become a better service provider. And that's what really the whole book is about. It's not just a bunch of nice stories or best practice examples, but taking those examples and then showing the readers specifically what the action steps are that they can take to be able to improve service and deliver a higher quality and value of service at each point to each customer every day and from any position. Ron, it's been great speaking to you again. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your absolutely frenetic schedule. I thought I was busy, but boy, you're busy. And if you'd like to know more about Ron, go to his website, www.ronkaufman.com. I'll do that again, www.ronkaufman.com and get his book, Uplifting, Uplifting Service, at your favorite bookstore or at Amazon.com. I'll be back with you in a couple of minutes with the second half of our show just after this short break. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people and what makes them tick. Most extraordinary people that I've ever met 
began life in average, ordinary circumstances, just like most of us. What makes them interesting, unusual and great, is something that we try to find out in this segment. My guest today is Casper Berry, who I've reached in London early morning. Casper began his career as a lead actor in a popular BBC television series, went on to read economics and anthropology at Cambridge, and then had his first screenplay play, do that again, first screenplay produced while he was in his final year. By the time he was 23, note 23, he was writing for Miramax and Columbia TriStar. Well, that's a hell of a variation of, in careers, and he was great at all of them. Now, if that isn't exciting enough, wait, there's more. At 25, he moved to Las Vegas and became a professional poker player. He did really well for three years before establishing 21st Century Media, a huge success that he eventually sold to Bob Geldof's company. He is now a hugely successful speaker and trainer. Phew, I'm tired just thinking about this amazing career. Hi, Casper. Welcome to the show. Hi, Bob. Thank you very much indeed for having me. That's amazing. That really is extraordinary. I've never spoken to anybody, I think, who's had such a diversified career at such a young age. Well, it's interesting, Bob, you talked about um, people starting off normal and then, and then you know, doing extraordinary things. I think in some ways I sort of started off doing bizarre things in my life and I've had to normalise it almost to stay sane because if I'd stayed at that rate, I think I'd have burnt out very quickly. Yeah, well, maybe, or maybe you just keep going on to bigger and better things. So, <laughs> you used to be a professional poker player. What inspired you to make such a dramatic change in your life and how have you related that to what you do now and to business in general? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, why did I, why did I decide to do it? Because it was a kind of crazy uh, decision and I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people think in my sessions that I'm advocating that we all become professional poker players, which I'm absolutely not. You know, at that point in my life, um, I didn't have a girlfriend, I didn't have family and kids and so it was very easy for me to do whatever took my fancy. Um, I, I started off as you, as you recounted in the film industry, but here's the key. I wasn't happy. I wasn't getting up every single day, jumping out of bed and going, I love what I have to do today. And I kind of thought, well, there's no point working in this industry if that's not the case. You know, it's a lot of people give their right arm to be doing what I'm doing. So maybe they should be doing it instead of me. But I didn't really know what I did want to do because that had been my dream since I was about 15 years old. Um, and so I thought, I just want to do something crazy now. Um, and uh, and get some life experience, and uh, and poker is that thing. I'm you know endlessly grateful to it uh, to to poker to the world of poker for giving me what I have now. I never thought that I'd still be talking about poker now, you know, twelve thirteen years later. Um, but I'm very grateful to be doing it now. How have I related it to business? Well, ironically, I've just talked there about making a decision, a, a massive decision about my life. And actually, that's what poker is. You don't need to have a forehand like Pete Sampras. You don't need to have a swing like Tiger Woods. You just need to be able to make consistently good decisions. And if you sit playing poker for 10 hours a day, as I did eventually for about three years, mostly uh, in Las Vegas, you... You become quite obsessed, or I did, certainly, by the process of decision-making. You know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing something very different to what the guy over the other side of the table would do in my situation? Why is he doing things which I might think are crazy or sometimes brilliant? What is this thing called decision-making? Um, what, what are the mechanisms behind it? And I just, you know, became very interested in that process and, and, and basically discovered that there was a whole science of it. There was a body of knowledge about it, which has become quite popularized in the years since, you know, starting off with Malcolm Gladwell's Blink, and yeah. more recently, you know, Daniel Kahneman has become a sort of popular author. But at that point, certainly, the world of behavioral economics, in fact, still hadn't been awarded the Nobel Prize at that point, and, and the world of decision-making was a very hidden world. And I guess I'm part of a very big wave of people who are trying to popularize it and make it accessible. Let me ask you a question. How long you went to Vegas because you didn't have a girlfriend? How long were you in Vegas before you found a girlfriend being a professional <laughs> poker player? Well, not, not very long, actually. Um, and one of the things is people often say to me, why did you quit playing poker? And there are three reasons. I'm, I'm always very honest about this. Number one, because I didn't feel I was ever going to be world champion. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I didn't feel I was ever going to make, you know, several million dollars playing poker. Some people do, not yep. as many as people think, actually. Some people do. And they have a natural flair for it. I worked really hard for every dollar I made in poker. The second reason was because I became bored of it. Um, most people at the events that I run love their first time playing poker, and that's fantastic. But if you imagine doing exactly the same thing every single night, six days a week for three years, it becomes boring. And the third reason is I split up with that girlfriend, and I thought <laughs> now's a pretty good time to leave town. <laughs> Now, when people think about poker, they think about luck and gambling. And, uh, you know, I've been in business hell of a long time, and I don't think luck is about either, I don't think business is about either luck or, gla- or gambling. So, how relevant are they to the more sober world of business? Well, here's the thing. When we're playing poker, what we're doing is uh, poker hands are a series of opportunities, right? And and in a way, that's a metaphor for the opportunities that we have in life every single day. So the opportunity to hire a new person, the opportunity to redo your website, the opportunity to take a meeting at 11 o'clock. These are literally all opportunities. Mm -hmm. And what I try and get people to do is to see literally all decisions that we make, all decisions, as investment decisions. Okay. We tend to think about that word investment as being the allocation of a scarce resource that is money. Sure. But money is just one of many scarce resources that we have figuratively and literally at any given moment. Yep. Money is the obvious one. The next obvious one is, of course, time. Yep. Um, and we measure time sometimes in hours, minutes, and seconds, but sometimes in terms of um, uh, energy or attention or passion or dedication to something. Our degree of comfort, our liberty is a scarce resource that can be taken away from us. Sure. And the big scarce resource that I try and get people in organizations talking about uh, which we don't measure, literally, in pounds, shillings, and pence, is status, reputation, standing, respect, what Asian cultures call face. And if you've ever worked in Asia, you'll know that they literally talk about the loss of face. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just as much of a, a concept in Western cultures, we just don't mention it that much, is the fear of, you know, losing what we have, the fear of being seen as being less in other people's eyes, the fear of being seen as less in our own eyes, you know, lowering our own sense of self-esteem. Mm. The fear of that very often is what stops us from making decisions. So all, of, all decisions are investment decisions, and poker is a very literal arena in which we are constantly investing. The only scarce resource that means much in poker is, of course, money as measured by poker chips. But when you get to grips with poker, what you learn is that the massive investment that you learn on you know, page 12 of any decent poker book is exactly the same massive investment that Warren Buffett will teach you, that any good investment course will teach you, and in actual fact, that, that the science of decision-making reveals that we are... Uh, if you like, implementing all the time this this concept of investment. Yeah, you, you talk about um, a break-even line. Yes. What is it, and why is it important? Okay, so the break-even line is sort of my own creation. It's a, it's actually a graphical representation, which doesn't help us much here in this interview. But it's for people who don't like the maths of what I teach, and I completely appreciate some people hate maths. I always go through the maths when I do my uh, sort of uh, you know full seminars and speeches because investment and risk ultimately do come down to a set of actually really simple, really accessible uh, equations, but which I appreciate that most people don't like. But I can summarise it here. Imagine we were doing a coin toss now. Obviously, life is not like a coin toss, but it has certain characteristics in common with a coin toss. That is, you can choose whether to bet or invest in this opportunity as represented by a coin toss, and it may win, it may come up successful, it may lose, it may be unsuccessful. And in life, of course, you get to exercise a whole series of skills to try and make sure you're as successful as possible. But you'll know if you've ever worked in business that you're not going to win every single sale that you pitch for, no matter how good you are. Not every single meeting that you go to is going to be a success, and not every single person that you hire is going to become employee of the month. Jack Welsh, you know, probably one of the best hirers in the world, said if he got it right 80% of the time he was doing well. So what the coin toss represents is an opportunity that is not always going to be successful. And in poker, more complicatedly, a little bit more like life, that's represented by the terms of cards and other people's behaviours and all these things over which we have no control. And in fact, I use Stephen Covey's brilliant model of, you know, circle of influence and circle of concern, sure. uh, circle of concern yep. to represent that which we can control and that which we can't control. Yes. Okay. Now, if we think about this coin toss, if you were going to invest a dollar, Bob, in every single toss of the coin, that is every single meeting that you have, every single person you employ, yep. if I were to give you 50 cents back every time you're successful, mm-hmm. that would mean 50% of the time you lost a dollar and 50% of the time you made 50 cents. Yes. So you don't need to be a mathematical genius to know that at that point you're losing. <laughs> 
Yep. If I offer you a dollar for every time you're successful, now 50% of the time you're losing a dollar and 50% of the time you're making a dollar. Of course, in the short term, you may make $10 or you may lose $10. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. That's the short term. That's where the luck will have some kind of effect. And every salesperson who's ever worked for any period of time will know that he has good weeks and he has bad weeks. And sometimes it's hard to put your finger on exactly what's happening there. Sometimes it's due to what we're doing, but sometimes it's just due to this thing that we can't control. We just have good weeks and bad weeks. What about a coin tosses? Um 50-50, isn't it? But yes. when, you, when you're going to meetings or whether you're doing whatever, then your, the amount of skill you have and how much learning that you've put into your trade then certainly turns the odds in your favour, surely. Well, That's right. That's right. You definitely want to give yourself the best possible chance of success. So if you're a great salesperson, you might have like an 80-90% chance in this situation because you can turn situations around. And if you're lousy or less experienced, then you might just have a 30% chance. And of course, in the reality of the world, it's either going to convert or it's not going to convert. But if you take this long-term perspective of all the last 100 meetings I've looked, I've been into, I've converted 80% compared to someone who's only converted 60%. Right. And the longer period of time we have, the more those figures take on some sort of sense of uh, meaning, if you like, or what statisticians call statistical significance. Sure. So coming back to that coin toss, it's just a metaphor, it's just a, um, an example, a way of understanding the, the, world, the way of the world that we can't control everything. If you had that 50% chance of success and I gave you a dollar for every dollar you invested, you'd be breaking even, and this takes us to our break-even line. Here's the key part about the break-even line. It is a graphical representation of the fact that if now, every time I toss the coin, Bob, you're investing a dollar, Right, which represents the four hours it takes to prepare for the meeting and the hour and the meeting yep. itself and the opportunity cost of all that time. Sure. If when you're successful, I give you $10, now 50% of the time you're losing a dollar, Bob, yep. but 50% of the time you're making $10. And if I represented that on this visual graph called the break-even line, you're now way above it. Okay, you're making so much money you don't know what to do with it all. That's what a poker player is doing in an ideal world. He's got this huge, what we call positive expectation, even though he's not going to win every time, even though you're not going to convert every sale, even though not every employee you take on is going to be the best. But now you are earning money, even though you are losing, you are failing 50% of the time. Right. And a lot of the time, someone will be around to call that a failure. And so that's how I try and reframe the concept of failure. Some failures are obviously bad. Some people are obviously investing their time and their money into opportunities in which they shouldn't be. But the notion of failing in order to get to where we want to get to is not just acceptable. It's actually absolutely necessary. The more you fail, fact, the closer you get to succeed. Absolutely. And in fact, more fundamentally, what I try and show through the different, through the different models is you know, you can use basic microeconomics to show that if a company or an individual is doing lots of things right and making, you know, fantastic returns on their investments or profits or whatever kind of metric they use, what happens is, most of the time, lots of other people will go, ooh, that looks good, that looks interesting, that was very profitable, and they'll pile into that market. If the more, if, if what you're doing is really visibly successful, actually people will emulate it, copy it, and pretty soon those returns that you're making, unless they're protected by a patent or whatever, will erode, be eroded. Actually, in order to be making really great returns on your investments, you need to do something which other people, for whatever reason, aren't going to emulate. And one of the best things that stops people from emulating what you do is risk, is some sort of difference or danger or uncertainty. And actually, people who are people who achieve, achieve the greatest success often have done it because they've struck out and discovered a way that other people are kind of scared about emulating. And for that reason, you can reap all the rewards yourself. Okay. Final question. Mm. Which gives you the most satisfaction? Not talking about money or security, but true satisfaction. Being an actor, an academic, a screenwriter, a businessman, a poker player, or a speaker trainer? Which one? Oh, I can answer that really honestly. Really honestly. That's being a speaker trainer because being a speaker trainer brings together all those other realms. That's the key, is I get to uh, talk about poker, which I really love. I get in a way, I get to act, I get to perform when I'm talking, and uh, I bring the screenwriting to bear in the sense of constructing sessions, which are structured in a way that people go on a journey and hopefully come out of the other end, you know, enlightened and hopefully inspired. Well, it was great to speak with you, Casper. I'm sorry it's so early in the morning. I thought I had an interesting life, but yours is a ripper. I love it. Now, if you'd like to find out even more about Casper, go to his website, 
Casper, C-A-S-P-A-R, Berry, B-E-A-B-E-R-R-Y.com. I'll do that again. www.casper, C-A-S-P-A-R, Berry, B-E-R-R-Y.com. And I'll be back for the last segment of this show after the next short break. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Hi there, and welcome back. We can tell by the emails that we receive that we've got people listening to us from five continents across the globe. Most of the emails I get are from the United States, but each week I'm going to answer at least one email from our international listeners. I also want to thank everyone that's going to my website, bobpritchard.com, or to marketforce1.com and signing up for my newsletter. I'm pleased to welcome you to the Pritchard Success Team. I think the reason that this segment's so popular is that irrespective of where you are in the world, the size of your business, no matter what you do, we all have the same issues. We all have the same challenges. It doesn't matter whether you're in retail, a big company, a startup, a plumber, a painter. Even though I may be answering an email from an owner of a company who makes window frames, for example, the answer will most likely also apply to your business. My first email today is from Frank Watson from Virginia Beach. Frank, that's a great part of the world. Frank writes, Dear Bob, you frequently talk about how you have a number of mentors. Why do you, with all of your contacts and experience, need a mentor? I'm not convinced that I need one. Incidentally, I enjoy your show. Well, thanks, Frank. I appreciate that. I think it's a compliment. Um, I have mentors in both my personal and my private life. Um, I surround myself with a group of extremely successful, talented and experienced people and we can meet collectively as a group or on a one-to-one basis and I can discuss anything I want to, whether it's personal or business, and I know that it will be in absolute confidence. It's not going to spread around the world. The important thing is to get mentors with a lot of experience because we can't be good at everything. You know, we can be good at a couple of things in our business, but there's 50 different elements that we need to be good at. So we all have holes in our knowledge and experience, and mentors are a way to plug that. Frank, you may be a lot stronger than me and maybe a lot smarter, but I often have a lot of issues that bother me that I'm not sure myself how to resolve. So it's great for me to be able to get different perspectives before I make a decision on anything. You know, you can attract mentors along the way in your personal or business journey or, you know, there are organisations out there who supply excellent experienced mentors. There's a lot of senior executives from major companies who have retired and love to help others. They have a huge amount of experience. Now, a mentor needs to be a friend, 
be empathetic, tell you what you need to know, not what you want to know. Be a wise counsel. Mentors have been a huge assistance to me, and I'm sure they can be for you. Thanks for your email, Frank. I can't emphasise enough how important I think mentors are. Copy of my book, The Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, was sent off to you earlier today. My second email today is from Alison Brown, who hasn't given me her location. So I'm not sure where she's from, but Alison writes, Dear Bob, I've gotten so much out of your book. I wish I had it when I was at college. It would have made things so much simpler. My email is more a statement than a question. The government, and even you on your program, call for us to hire more people. The problem is, as a small business that's struggling today, I don't have enough work to employ another person. Alison, I hear you loud and clear. I've been in that position myself. I guess that my issue really is that the philosophy of the government giving tax breaks or cash incentives for hiring, I think, is ridiculous. Making more credit available so companies can hire is also ridiculous. Cutting costs to make funds available to hire another person is also stupid because we all should really be running our business with our costs cut to a minimum. The key, the only key that's sustainable is to develop more business. Don't cut your advertising and promotion budgets. In fact, expand them. Do everything you can to bring in more work. Get out more flyers, more media releases, more targeted ads, email blasts, use social media, follow up all your past customers. Now's the time to get creative. Get out there and drum up customers, then treat them like gold. As we come out of the recession, it will really pay off for you. I know that's a long answer to no real question, but it enables me to get on my soapbox. Alison, since you've got a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, I'm going to send you a copy of my previous book, Marketing Magics, which I wrote with um, Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson and Robert Bly. It's a great book and I hope you'll like it. Our final email today is from Kenny Murray, who has a confectionery business in New Zealand. Kenny writes, Dear Bob, I really love your show. We don't have a program like yours in New Zealand. It is wonderful information for small businesses. I've got a staff of 10 and we set aside half a day to take your advice and conduct a SWOT evaluation of our business. We set aside half a day. The problem is that even though we're doing it pretty tough, we found that we came up with a lot of strengths and opportunities, but we could not, we could identify very few weaknesses and threats. Where do we go from here? Kenny, that's a very common problem. Before I answer you, let me explain for listeners who may not know what a SWOT analysis is. A SWOT analysis stands for strength, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. This means listing everything in the strengths category, for example, that is a strength and everything in the weaknesses and so on. And strengths and weaknesses are generally elements that are internal to the business. Opportunities and threats are usually external and it's very hard to be objective. So you've really got to put the effort into finding the things that are working against you. I will get a copy of my book off to you today. Remember, I want to hear from you, so visit my website at bobpritchard.com, sign up for my newsletter, email me, tweet me, become my friend on LinkedIn, and tell me what it is that you want me to talk about. That's it from me today. I will be back next week at the same time from my home in Los Angeles. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.